What a wonderful sermon this morning uh, regarding a subject that can be challenging to preach about because you're trying to uh, find balance without leaving the truth and at the same time uh, reaching people with a message that they need to hear. And I just, I thought Caleb struck uh, the perfect balance uh, with that. And somebody said earlier that needs to stay on the main line on our uh, streaming channel uh, forever. And I, I think that's, that's right. It was the perfect message uh, for that subject. The Bible tells of a man who was unrelenting in his conviction and his resolve to do things that he had come to know needed to be done. And his example is one that stands as an example that's worthy of imitation. Some, someone who was convicted, someone who was concerned about his own well-being, one who was very aware of the need for the mercy of God, one who was very aware of the need to reach people that needed to hear God's saving message, and a man who was resolved in his understanding of the role that the message of God could play in the lives of people if they could only hear it. This man, in a fraction of time, became a believer. He became a valuer of God's mercy. He became one who desired to save people that he knew were lost. There's just one problem with this man and his situation. It was too late to be concerned about those things. I'm talking about the rich man in Luke chapter 16. And you might be thinking in your mind, another sermon that springboards off of Luke 16. And it's true, we've had a number of sermons in recent days with our summer series, with the gospel meeting, that used this passage to teach about hell, to teach about judgment, to teach about the difference between Hades and hell. But I think as true as he is true with regard to the nature of the Bible, if you keep squeezing, you can get even more lessons that are practical, that are pertinent to our lives from just a few verses in the Bible. And so tonight, after all of these other lessons had stepped on what I intended to preach uh, today, we're going we're gonna to squeeze this passage a little bit more. One problem with this man, his newfound attitude came about too late. And you think, well, why do we need to talk about that? Well, I, I believe, and I think you would agree with me, that like him, most people will grasp the sentiment, the words, the feeling, it's too late, only in eternity it will be that they have crossed over that great divide from life to eternity, 
from time to timelessness before they realize it's too late. And it's unfortunate, brothers and sisters, that there will be Christians in that number of people who wait too late. I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for any of us. So might we be challenged to have the resolve of this man, not at the place where he gained it, but at the place where we are right now today, and then evaluate what changes need to be made in our own lives relative to the lesson, the unfortunate lesson for him that he leaves for us. There are four things that I want to look at tonight as we consider this idea of it's too late from this passage. And the first one is this. It's too late to become a believer. When you step over into the realm of the dead, it's too late to become a believer. Oh, you'll, you or whoever we're talking about will become a believer instantly. But it will be too late for that to have any kind of affecting change in our lives. Let's see what I'm talking about. Let's notice the passage. Here is verse, verses 19 through 21. Our point is going to come from verses 22 and 23. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And then verses 22 and 23, so it was that the beggar died. And he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, just as we observed recently in the gospel meeting. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Notice some things here. He lifted up his eyes in Hades, in torment, in that compartment of the Hadeum realm reserved for those who have rejected God in their lifetime. He lifted up his eyes there in a fraction of time, in a moment, in an instant. He was there. Gone were the days of wondering whether or not it existed. Gone were the days of believing God at his word. He was there. He saw it with his own eyes. Now, I will make the distinction, as has been made throughout recent lessons, this is not hell. This is the temporary abode of departed spirits, where everyone will go when they die, where they will await the final judgment of God. This man now is a believer. And when I say believer, I'm talking about the kind of believer who will be moved to action by what they believe. He may have believed some things when he was living, but he didn't believe them in a way that would lead to him moving to action. He believes in hell now because he's in a place that demonstrates that that ultimate resting place or final place is real. You might find this surprising. I did. 
A recent survey or study within the past 10 years or so, I suppose, showed that 69% of religious leaders, 69% of religious leaders do not believe in the hell that is portrayed in the Bible. Now, they believe in something, but the hell that is portrayed in the Bible, they don't believe in it. That, that's amazing to me. It's outright astonishing that people who lead others, hopefully towards salvation, don't even believe what the Bible says about this place called hell. 78% of people, these are not religious uh, leaders, these are just people in general. 78% of people believe that there's a good chance that they're going to heaven. Good chance. But you know, those same people believe that there's only about a 4% chance that they're going to go to hell. You see, people want to believe in heaven, but they don't want to believe in this place that the Bible describes as eternal death, eternal punishment, eternal torment. Just like the rich man. And you know, the rich man never in his lifetime opened his eyes wide enough to be convinced that it was real. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, speaking specifically about John's gospel account, but the broader implications concerning the whole of God's word. He said, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe and that believing you might have life through his name. The words and the signs that are recorded in the New Testament are there to produce faith in whatever it's teaching about. It teaches about heaven. It's intended and designed to produce faith that there is a heaven, that there is a God, that Jesus Christ is his son, that the church was God's plan from eternity, that there is a hell. And Jesus spoke about that place with absolute certainty. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, he says, then he will say to those on the left hand, talking about the great judge and that depiction of the judgment scene, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus spoke with certainty absolute certainty about this place. In John chapter 20 and verse, or John chapter 10, or Matthew chapter 10 rather, verse 28, he said, do not fear those who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear those, him rather, who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Where? In hell. With certainty he spoke about this place. And the fact that his words and the words of others are recorded in the Bible by inspiration is sufficient to produce faith. 
in whatever it is the Bible happens to be talking about where we're reading. We started with John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, but if you back up one verse to verse 29, it's Jesus' discussion with Thomas about his refusal to believe until he could see the evidence with his eyes. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The takeaway for us and really for all tonight is, do we have to see it with our own eyes to believe it? Because if that's what it's going to take for me to get my life right in the sight of God, you know what? It'll be too late. Too late. It was too late for the rich man to become a believer. And if we wait, if we don't take God at his word, that there is a place of eternal torment, ready and waiting for people who, have go who are going to ignore God in this lifetime, then it'll be too late when we're finally convinced. The next point of observation is this. It was too late to cry for mercy. He was right to recognize the need for God's mercy and to cry out for it, but it was too late. Look at this, verses 24 through 26. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, besides that, what else? Between you, us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you, they cannot. Nor can those who are there pass to us. You see, here he is in need of mercy. He's tormented in this flame. And at least in his mind, if someone could just come with a little bit of water, that would provide relief. I, I'm not there. I don't know how that might have worked. What I do know is it's too late. It's too late to cry out for God's mercy. God's offer and supply of mercy is undeniable. It's undeniable. The Bible is full of evidence that God stands ready to pour out mercy. I think of passages like Psalm 86 and verse 5. For you, Lord, are God, uh, you, Lord, are God and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Abundant in mercy. Or what about Psalm 147 and verse 11? The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Do you hope in God's mercy tonight? I, I, know, I know that we desire it, surely, but do you hope in it? Are you hanging on to God's mercy? Because the Bible teaches you and me that we need that. Or are you like the rich man? Am I like the rich man? 
ignoring what the Bible says and what the word of God says about the need for mercy. You know, his materialism blinded him to his most important need. If you back up and look in Luke 16, just to develop the context of it, you see verse 13, no man can serve two masters, really, to hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't ride the fence. You can't be self-sufficient and then hope for God's mercy. Caleb talked a lot this morning about the, uh, the humanist manifesto and the self-sufficiency of man and the lack of need for God. Well, if you take that position and that's your approach to life, then you can't have mercy because you don't believe in God. And so here's a God ready to pour out mercy. But you or I, for that matter, say, I don't, says, I don't believe in God. And I go through my life denying my need for mercy. And then, like the rich man, step into eternity and then realize in person the need for mercy and it's too late. It's too late. You know, when I need aid and people have it and they deny giving it, that can be frustrating. You know, when, when you need help, there's help available, but people won't give it to you. They won't extend it to you. That's frustrating. But it's altogether something different when I need mercy and there is none. It's not like God is standing there holding it and denying it. Where he's at now, it's not available. There is no mercy there. It's not like he gives it to some and denies it to others. It's not like I can build a case and make an appeal strong enough for him to say, okay, kind of like we do as parents, right? Our kids want something and we say, no, you can't have it. They might, whatever, whatever they do, they might build a strong enough argument or case to get us to bow and break and give them the thing that we were trying to deny them. That might work in this lifetime, but it won't work there. Mercy is just unavailable there. It's too late. Mercy must be sought now while it is available. I think of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, where the Hebrews writer said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What that means is go now. Don't wait until you step into eternity in a, a broken relationship with God and realize that you did actually need mercy and then try to do something about it. It's just not available there. And so what the rich man teaches us is it was too late to cry for mercy. Now here's the third point of observation. It was too late to care about the lost. That's verses 27 and 28. Notice what the text says. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father Abraham, that you would, or Father, that you would send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers that are, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. You see that? You see how evangelistic he is? I know, 
I have these brothers. I know they need to know what I know now. And can you send someone back to help them? You know what I, I think is really horrible about your memory and your knowledge when you step into eternity is that that's all you know. You, you don't have an awareness of what's taking place right then on the other side of that great divide. I think Don Blackwell mentioned Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, for the living know, know not that they will die, but the dead know, uh, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. They, they don't know what's going on. And so the knowledge that you have when you step into eternity is the knowledge that you retain. And I just wonder, I just wonder what it's like to wait and see who joins you. There are conversations taking place here. There's awareness here. There's interaction back and forth. I can only imagine, and, I, and I, it seems to me, these are deductions that we can rightly make from what we know about what is taking place here, but there are people who are being delivered by the angels, and there are people lifting up their eyes in torment to the tune of whatever the rate is at which people die in this world today. I mean, it's multiples by the second. And so these compartments are being populated multiples by the second. And if I left this life having ignored God and I step into eternity and I'm in the place where the rich man is, it seems to stand to reason that I would just have to sit there in my torments without mercy, waiting to see who joined me and knowing that if nobody reaches the people that I never took the opportunity to reach, they're coming right there where I am. I don't want that. And I know you don't want that. But can we freeze our lives for just a second? Just a second, just freeze, freeze your life. Put it on pause for just a second. And think about this. If I stepped into eternity right now, where would that leave my children? Have I taught them that God's not important? Maybe I didn't say it in words, but maybe my actions have taught them that. It's not important. Church is a good thing to do if we don't have something else to do. What If I put it on pause right now, what have I been teaching them? And if God has not been a priority in my life, and I end up where the rich man is, what will it be like to sit there and wait for my children? I 
I'm telling us these things tonight because if we wait to find out on our own, it will be too late. We're not promised another breath. And the rich man now knows that. And he evidently wasted opportunity to influence people in his sphere of influence, and he didn't do it. I wonder why. Why do we as people, just people in general, why do we procrastinate? Why do we put off? Why do we wait until it's too late? Why do we do that? Could it be that in reaching out to other people to tell them what they need to do, we're only reminded of what we need to be doing? Could it, could it be that? Maybe. That had to be where he was at. His realization that there were people that needed to know some things was a reminder to him that he needed to know some things and he didn't act when he had an opportunity. He knew his family was lost and it became apparent to him, but it came apparent too late. It was too late to care about the loss. Number next, in verses 29 through 31, it's too late to listen to the Bible. Here are the verses, verses 29 through 31. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes back to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, is that true? He makes an argument. Is it true? What does Abraham say? He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. It's not true. It's not true at all that if someone going back from the dead, that someone going back from the dead would convince these people that they needed to change their lives. And that, you know, that's kind of hard to wrap, wrap your mind around because I'm thinking, all right, for somebody to go back from the dead, that's a miracle. And that would be very convincing. But do you know... From Pharaoh to the Pharisees, there were miracles that should have convinced people that God is, and they were denied all through that time. And so Abraham says, they won't hear Moses and the prophets. Someone going back from the dead is not going to change. We, we are prone to ignoring warnings, regardless of where they come from. I mean, we do it every day in life. Think about substances, maybe illicit substances. We get warning after warning, says if you use these drugs, it can kill you. And people do it. And guess what? It kills people. Or there are things on the shelves that have big warnings on the side that says this will kill you. And people partake in them just ignoring the warning. It'll cause cancer, whatever. Just ignore the warning. Or what about this warning? Texting and driving will kill people. And we ignore it. Or things like fornication. 
all different kinds of behaviors that are engaged in every single day, and they're engaged in because people don't heed the warnings. And yet the Bible is full of warning. It's full of promises, but at the same time, it's full of warning. And people like the rich man enter into eternity because they ignore the warnings. It's amazing how unimportant preaching is today. You know, in most religious circles, preaching of the word is minimized to just a fraction of the concert and whatever else is taking place in that setting. It's amazing how unimportant the preached word has become in our world. But there was a warning in the Bible about that, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. And yet God's word is the single most important resource we have. James said in James chapter 1, verse 21, we're to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. In other words, it's able to address our stepping from life into eternity so that we do that in a way that doesn't mirror what happened to the rich man. It's the single most important resource we have, and yet you couldn't prove that demonstrably, demonstrably by the lives of Christians. Because as a general rule, we just don't spend enough time studying God's Word. But it is the only thing God has given us to make sure that we enter into eternity right with him. And so for the rich man who evidently had ignored Moses and the prophets, it was too late. It was too late to be concerned about what the Bible says. It was too late for him to listen to the Bible. And if his five brothers didn't get that corrected in their lifetime, they ended up right where he was. I love the resolve and the determination of this man. I believe I need mercy. I need to tell people about salvation and I need to listen to what the Bible says. But it was too late. What's the point tonight? What's the point in a sermon like this? Don't wait until it's too late to do what needs to be done. If you knew you had one week of life left. If you knew that, one week of life left, are there things that you would change? 
I have one week left. Are there things in my life that I would change? Are there things I would stop doing? Are there things I would start doing? Are there things I would do better? If so, then we've proven the very point that I'm trying to make tonight. People tend to wait too late until it's too late to do what needs to be done. Someone has said that regret is the echo of opportunities ignored. And the thing about regret, when you leave this life and you enter into eternity, it is that sentiment, regret, is just as eternal as eternity. If I'm going to be in torment for eternity, then my regret will be for eternity. I would suggest that me, you, stop living life like we have control over our destiny and learn a lesson from this man that the things that he became concerned about, and rightly so, after he stepped over that line, were things that he realized too late. And you and I have every resource, we have every exhortation, we have every need to believe in the heaven and the hell that the Bible speaks of. To cry out for God's mercy every single day of our lives. Incidentally, that's part of walking in the light. To recognize our need for mercy and cry out for it. To care about the lost. Now, the church is not a, a hotel for saints. It's supposed to be a hospital for sinners. It's supposed to be. It should be where people come for help. And so we need to be concerned about the lost because one day it could be too late. And then we need to listen to the Bible. So, so much of the confusion, the disagreement, the disgruntledness among brethren, so much of that could be resolved if people would just listen to the Bible and do what it says. May God help us to have the attitudes and behaviors of this man, but to have them on this side of eternity and not wait too late. Tonight, if you're here and you've never obeyed the gospel, you're gambling with borrowed time. And so what do you need to do? Well, if you know what you need to do, you need to do it. But if you don't, then speak up, ask for help, let us study with you, and help you see what God's way of salvation for you is, even tonight. If you're here as a Christian and you've been toying around with the reality that you don't know how much time you have left and you just assume that there will be a tomorrow and a next day and a next day, and so you're putting off things you know you need to do or you need to stop doing because... You've not thought about the fact that one day it'll be too late. Then don't do that anymore.
Make the changes that are necessary, even tonight. And if there's any way that we can help you with that, let it be known. If you're subject to the invitation, will you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262. Or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.